You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. All right. Well, welcome into the Boozeworks Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Mills, and this is episode number two. Something we do here at Booze Works is we do a little bit of work for distilleries, breweries, and wineries. So on the podcast, I'm going to try to talk a little bit each episode, or at least direct uh, each episode at a different segment of what we're doing. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing a little bit more on the winery, cidery side of things, talking about apples. We had a request from a listener out in Copenhagen to do an apple episode. So uh, hopefully this is uh, what you were looking for. If not, hit me up again on Twitter and uh, let me know if it's something different. And for the rest of you guys, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, it's at DistillerDude. Please let me know uh, any episodes you think will be interesting. So today we're going to be talking about cider and kind of what to look for in making cider, particularly for somebody kind of new to the industry. Uh, A lot of these same guidelines and rules for cider can also be used if you're making apple brandy. Because mainly we're talking about the fruit and how to treat the fruit and what exactly we need to do in order to kind of get that best apple flavor uh, all the way through. One of the the big differences between making apple brandy and making apple cider is that cider, we need that residual sweetness. We'll get into uh, some of that here in a little bit. Basically, the two big problems that come from fermenting apples are methanol and cyanide. Uh, Methanol is a byproduct of the breakdown of pectin, and apples have a ton of pectin. So apple-based liquors have a tendency to have a lot of methanol uh, formation. We also see methanol coming from the stems and seeds when they're left in the press. There's a couple of different ways to get rid of it, but generally speaking, before we do our crushing and pressing, we need to treat our apples with a pectinase to help break down that pectin. Then, if we're making cider, we have to be very careful in terms of yeast selection and how we do our fermentation temperatures to not encourage additional methanol creation. The other major problem with cider and apples in general is the creation of cyanide. The pits have a bunch of cyanide in them. If when you're doing your pressing, you get a little bit over vigorous and actually break those pits, uh, you can release cyanide. So when we do our pressing, unfortunately, we're less efficient than we would hope to be. One of those reasons is to ensure that we don't destroy those pits. Uh, with apples, it's not as bad as when we're talking about other stone fruit that have a similar issue. Uh, luckily, the palm fruit seeds are small enough, particularly in relation to kind of the mass of the fruit. We don't see a ton of breakage, but when you get overly vigorous with that press, uh, you can certainly create some. The goal when we're making cider is to get as much apple flavor as possible, but at the same time kind of maintain that balance and complexity that we see with tannins and acids and sweetness that allow us to really enjoy what's going on. Everybody kind of has their own level, and there's a couple of different ways to make sure that people are enjoying that cider. Generally at the start, and kind of what everybody focuses on initially, is how much alcohol can I make? How much sugar is there? Apples typically start off at about 8 to 12% sugar. This is primarily for our table apples, although as we get into some of the uh, less sweet cider apples, we'll see them up in that kind of 10 to 12% range. Good cider apples can go up to 15% sugar. This is a, a pretty hard number to find. I don't think I've ever seen apples test out higher than 14%. In theory, it's possible. If you were able to get a single varietal that was all 15% sugar, after we did our pressing, our juice would end up being about a 1.06, somewhere in there. Where do I start with how much alcohol can I get? Really, I wouldn't assume anything higher than 106. And quite honestly, if you get there, you found some real special apples or had a really good year. 
So generally how we think about apples breaks down into kind of four types. We have sharp, bitter, sharp, bitter, sweet, and sweet. I like to think of this as kind of a, a four square grid where we have bitter and not bitter uh, along one side and sharp and sweet on the other. Basically sharp refers to how much acid is in our apples. Generally speaking, apples are considered sharp or bitter sharp when they have more acid than about 0.45%. Uh, and that's 0.45% of malic acid. On the other hand, they're considered bitter when we have greater than 0.2% tannins. If we're under that, we're not bitter. So if we're under 0.45% acid and we're under 0.2% tannins, that's a sweet apple. Those are our table apples. This is what everybody's kind of familiar with. You know, maybe something like a, a Granny Smith might be moving out of that direction. Uh, but generally speaking, everything you're most familiar with. In most cases, if you were going to choose a single varietal to do your cider with, We'd want something in that bitter sharp category. So it has acid, it has tannins, it has sweetness. That's what brings kind of the most complexity to the, the group. Otherwise, what we try to do is we try to pick apples from each of the four groups so that we can create a blend of the proper amount of acid, proper amount of tannin, and the proper amount of sugar to allow us to kind of create that complex bouquet that we want in our ciders. With the sugar, we can kind of get there two different ways. In my opinion, the best way to get there is to leave residual sugar behind. And we see this all the time, although a lot of people don't know necessarily what it means, but there's different categories of cider. We have dry ciders, semi-dry ciders, semi-sweet ciders, and sweet ciders. Other places break those categories down in, in different directions. Those four categories are typically judging categories. If you're submitting your cider off to be judged, they'll fall into one of those four categories. So dry ciders have below 0.9% residual sugar or one brick. These have most of the sugar removed. If we were able to start at about 15% sugar, we could get 7.5% alcohol out of a fully sweet cider wash that then was fermented all the way dry. In the semi-dry category, we're looking from that basically 0.9% residual sugar up to 1.8% residual sugar, 1 to 1.8 bricks. In terms of SG, we're looking at a 1.005, 1.010 SG residual, you know, uh, final gravity that is. This is going to, again, get us about that 6.9% alcohol on the high end. If you start with less sugar, obviously, we're not going to get as far. A semi-sweet is going to go up from uh, 10.10 to 10.15, get us about 6.3% alcohol. Uh, with a sweet cider, we're talking anything above 4.5% residual sugar. We're starting off at 15 or 8, you know, somewhere in that range. So 4.5% means we're only converting half of the sugar on the low end into alcohol. Uh, even on the high end, we're talking about only converting two-thirds of it. So these are going to be your ciders, about 5, 5.5% alcohol. So the way we leave this residual sugar behind typically is by adding a, a sulfide blend. Camden tablets is probably the most familiar to people on the homebrew side, but there's a whole variety of them that we can use. And basically, you add enough to kill the yeast, and then we're going to filter the cider uh, to remove all of the yeast so they don't accidentally, any of that are remaining, come back to life. Typically, we're looking at about a half micron uh, filter in order to actually get rid of the yeast. The other way to ensure residual sweetness is actually to ferment all the way dry so we get up to that 7 7.5% alcohol of the dry, and then we back sweeten. So when we're doing back sweetening, we can kind of control how much sugar we're adding in order to hit those categories. So the most sugar you can add to a cider and still keep it in the dry categories, about 7.7 .7 grams per liter. Uh, when we're looking semi-dry, we're looking 18.7 grams per liter. 
semi-sweet is going to be almost 29 grams per liter. When we're talking sweet, you don't want to add more than about 49 grams per liter. Above that, we're back into the apple juice category or soda. So 49 is kind of the, man, I want to drink soda that has booze in it. Personally, I like it on the dry, semi-dry side. So if you're going to be back sweetening, you know, somewhere in that 7 grams per liter up to about 19 grams per liter will really get you, you know, the complexity you need. You're going to end up somewhere in that 7% alcohol range and still enough sweetness to kind of take the edge off. Of course, there's other ways to take the edge off. Uh, and the easiest way to do this is with our tannins and our acidity. So this is where we go back to our varietal selection. We're trying to get the right amount of acidity, the right amount of tannins. You know, too many tannins with a very dry cider can really give you that mouthfeel that kind of puckers you up. But on the other hand, when you add just a little bit of acid, it can kind of help bring your taste buds back around and help a very dry cider actually taste more fruity. This is kind of the, the trick is you have to look at, okay, how much sugar do I want? And are there other ways to get that same perceived sugar without actually putting the sugar in there? Unfortunately, this is absolutely the art, and I can't give you the scientific method, you know, eight parts acid, nine parts tannin. It just doesn't work. So this is where every year you have to taste your varietals and kind of work that blend out in your head. On the other hand, single varietals, it is what it is. You go to the orchard, you pull an apple off the tree. If you like that blend, then, hey, crush it, let's make juice and get it going into cider. It's a simpler way to go, and I think a lot of the customers are drawn to that single blend. That's what they're used to in wine. When you say, have a Riesling, people understand, okay, Riesling is this kind of flavor profile, sometimes sweet, sometimes dry. You can get different terroir in there. You can get a whole bunch inside the category of Riesling, but now you can do the same thing with a Jonagold. The other side of it is, okay, here's my Cox Pippin. Then, well, okay, this is a little bit too tannic. All right, let's balance that out with a different apple varietal. Typically, what I like to do is make small batches of juice and kind of blend it out there and understand what you're doing. You know, gallon of each from maybe three or four different types. Mix them together and see kind of how that works out. Not everybody is able to go to the orchard. Uh, you know, here in Colorado, we're fortunate we do have some heirloom varietals that are grown over on the western slope. If you're not able to, or if you want to have a year-round cider production, apple juice concentrate is great. Uh, you can actually buy it uh, on the open market. Uh, there's a spot market for it, easy to get pricing. You can fix it in advance. Concentrate can be used year-round. It comes in a form of about 70 bricks, so you'll add water to it to dial it back. Unfortunately, it has a tendency to be really short on nitrogen, and so you're going to have to add a lot more supplements into your uh, fermenter in order to make your yeast happy. If, on the other hand, you're able to get raw apples from the orchard, if you can find cider varietals, those tend to be easier to press and get higher yields. You know, if you're getting a table apple, uh, several of them have been designed to be kind of firmer and harder to press so they last better in the store. So they're not ideal for cider making and moving through the process. Unfortunately, in large parts of the country, we don't really have that option. The cider apples are gone, and all we have are the table apples. You can still make do. You can just expect kind of lower yields uh, when you're pressing. Our cider varietals will also be able to convert some of that starch to sugar while maintaining their shape. They won't get all mushy as they start to do that. Generally, what we're thinking when you buy bulk apples off the tree, they need to sit for about two weeks. And this is where they're naturally going to start doing some of that starch to sugar conversion. And the longer you let them sit, the more sugar you're actually going to be able to press out of them. 
Generally speaking, what we look for is for you to be able to pick up an apple, press your thumb into it. If you leave a thumbprint, then that's ready to press. If it's still very firm and you're crushing it or not able to leave anything, let it sit a little while longer. We do want it to get a little bit soft. That's how we know we're going to get all that sugar out of there. Once we've got those apples at the right amount of sweetness, we're going to put them in a roller mill or a grater mill. The idea between both of those is they won't crush the seeds. If you were using a hammer mill or something that really was going to pulp the apples, you have a better chance of crushing those seeds and creating more cyanide in your cider. Roller mills won't have the ability to break those seeds, and so they'll come through the process whole. Grater mill is the same thing. Normally, they'll hit a seed and just pull it through the pulp rather than actually crushing it. Uh, a traditional cider press is going to give you about 75% juice extraction, even if you have hydraulic help. If you're doing it manually, you're going to get probably closer to 50%. There are some other types of presses out there that can get higher yields. We can get into the 80-85%, but generally speaking, by the time you're ready to buy one of those, uh, you're operating you know, at least a national level, and so that's not really worth getting into right now. When we do our pressing, we're definitely leaving the skins in in the press. But if we've done our job properly and we've actually tried to remove the pectin from the fruit body, we can take the skins and some of that actual body of the cider, put it in our fermenters. This will give us more tannins and more color to our cider. The downside is it can also create more methanol. So we have to balance that doing this. I would say the vast majority of cideries are just bringing in juice and are leaving all the pulp and skins behind. Bringing in the skins is is certainly different and weird, but it's a, a fun way to add some color and tannin, particularly if you're using, say, table apples that don't have a lot of tannin to begin with. Uh, once we've pressed the juice, then we need to chill it down to about 41 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. That'll stop any wild yeast from starting fermentation before you're ready. Treat it with a pectin methyl esterase for about two days. That'll help remove any uh, residual pectin that made it through treating the whole body fruit prior to pressing, which again helps with methanol creation, which will make a better cider. It will also help decrease the viscosity of your cider by getting rid of those pectin molecules that'll hold it together. Less body, but less methanol. I, I think it's a, a very good trade-off the vast majority of the time. For those of you who are used to making beer or making wine or anything that's not made with apples, apples are very low in nitrogen. And so we're going to have to supplement the apples in order to get them where our yeast need them to be. We're looking about 250 parts per million ammonium phosphate to kind of help everything out and get that proper amount of free nitrogen. If you are storing that juice above 50 degrees Fahrenheit, absolutely expect fermentation to begin whether or not you're ready. Apples are very high in wild yeast. Sometimes this can be a good thing and we can pull things out of the orchard that really make you smile. But if you're not planning for it, particularly if you're looking to use a particular yeast, make sure that you go out there and keep it cold until you're ready. We see this all the time. You need to press a lot of apples before you get your juice ready. If we're doing something, you know, particularly buying apples out of the orchard, we're typically buying them in half-ton bins. Each bin is only going to get you about 60 gallons of juice. So if you're going to be pressing, say, a 500-gallon vat to do your fermentation in, we're looking at doing 10 bins. Some people aren't going to be able to process that in a day. So it's very important if you can't get it all done, get that first stuff in there, get it cold immediately, and keep it cold so that we'll be able to control what that fermentation is. When we are doing fermentation and when we're ready to start fermentation, we don't want it a whole lot hotter than that cold temperature. Our best cider fermentation temperatures are about 59 to 77 degrees Fahrenheit. 
this is going to maximize that apple flavor and really help bring it to the forefront. When you start getting hotter than about 77, the yeast flavors take over. That may be what you're looking for if you've got a yeast that really puts out some things that complement the apple flavor. But generally speaking, that cold 60 to 75 degrees is what's going to really give the apples to the forefront. It's going to be a slow fermentation. Part of doing it so cold is it helps retard the yeast. They don't put off off flavors. They also are slow. It's going to take a while. Uh, I typically expect about a week to do a 500-gallon fermentation. We want to ferment with a relatively low pH. A lot of this is due to the malic acid that we're selecting for in our apples. So we're going to be doing a fermentation somewhere between 3 and 4.2 pH. That kind of tends to, again, help boost the residual sweetness that is in there. So even if you ferment dry, having that lower pH kind of helps it not feel quite so dry on your mouth. And then, you know, like I said earlier, different amounts of residual sugar are going to give you different percents of alcohol. Typically, ciders were going to be 6 to 8%. If you're getting 8%, you really found some some great cider and managed to really ferment it dry. 7.5%, 7% is really the highest I see. Apples are all about choosing the right blend and making sure that we take that blend and really promote it both in how we do our fermentation and how we do our pressing in order to really bring that flavor all the way from the apple to the glass. There's a lot of cool tricks we can do along the way. Hopefully you guys learned something today. Thanks for listening. And if you have any questions or want to reach out about a new show topic, hit me up on Twitter, like I said earlier, at Distiller Dude. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the BoozeWorks podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.